Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice and all that you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. Now here is the king walking before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. And I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Here I am, bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken, or whose donkey have I taken, or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed, or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. They said, You have not defrauded us, or oppressed us, or taken anything from any man's hand. He said to them, The Lord is witness against you. And his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, He is witness. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron, and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt, and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, so he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Astaroth. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jeroboam and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Now this will be the 24th week that we have been in First Samuel, which means... We have spent 23 weeks prior to today. 23 directly precedes 24, so that makes sense, correct? And so we have spent 23 weeks in the book of 1 Samuel leading up to today. Each sermon averages about an hour in length, which is good, right? Which which means that we have all invested together on Sunday mornings 23 hours about-ish in studying through the book of 1 Samuel and and sitting under the teaching of God through the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel as God's story has been recorded. Now I spend anywhere from 20 to 30 hours each week preparing for a single sermon. Which means that up to this point, it has been anywhere from 460 
to 920 hours spent in preparation just because I, I want to be sure that I am correct in what I am presenting to you. As the Word of God is proclaimed from this, from this pulpit, from this stage, in this building, and as the Word of God makes its way into the community, the proclamation of God word, God's Word makes it into our community. And, and the text for today, we, just, we heard it read just a few minutes ago, the text for today essentially just reminds us of everything that has happened up to this point in Israel's history. Of course, it's a broad look at Israel's history, right? But then Samuel also takes the time to remind the, the people of Israel of everything that has happened from 1 Samuel chapter 1 through 1 Samuel chapter 11. So here is my plan for the sermon this morning. I am going to take 23 hours to re-preach every text that we have been in over the course of the last 23 weeks. Furthermore, this week alone, I have spent 920 hours in preparation. Oh, there's not even that many hours in a week, is there? No, so you know I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We are not going to spend 23 hours in today's text. I'm not going to take the time to to rehash or re-explain every text that we have been through up to this point. And if you really, if you really hunger for that, and if you really crave that, I have good news. These sermons are available on our church website, and you can go to our church website and you can binge 23 hours of biblical teaching if you like. Some people binge, you know, Netflix, television shows. You can binge the Word of God. Oh man, that would be so cool. Now the text of Scripture often presents us with the opportunity to really reflect. It repeats itself often. And the text repeats itself today, summarizes chapters 1 through 11. And so instead of really getting technical with the text this morning, what I want to do is we'll walk through through parts of it, will make the point that the text makes. But since we have we've spent the last 23 weeks, 23 hours together looking at, at all of the intricate details of what's going on, then today is, is really meant for reflection, introspection. It's easy when we get to texts like this to glaze over the text because, oh, Samuel is simply summarizing what has already happened. And so I don't really, I don't really need to read this part of the text. I can move on to the next text where, where something happens again. But if that is what God desired for us to do, then He would not have included texts like this in His Bible, in His story, as it is Recorded, um, And I know, like even sitting here this morning, the temptation for me was to, oh, I've heard this already, I've looked at this this week, this is the material we've been learning over the past 23 weeks that we've been in, in 1 Samuel. And the temptation was just to almost shut the mind down, to almost close the ears. But if God repeats Himself in His Bible, I think He probably repeats Himself for for a reason. And we remind ourselves of the standard we have here, the church at Sunsites, to walk through the text of Scripture. And so if God repeats Himself, then we will repeat ourselves to remind ourselves of where we have been, remind ourselves of the, 
big picture and spend time in reflection because if, if God has spoken, it is way too important for us to skip a word. And so here in chapter 12, the, the first 13 verses, we'll see all 13 verses together making a single point, summarizing chapters 1 through 11 and making a single point. God is faithful. And then after we talk just a little bit about God's faithfulness, I, I will mention for a moment some thoughts, a question for our, for our own reflection. Here in verses 1 through 13, God's, God's faithfulness, all of Israel has gathered at Gilgal. We remember, we've seen this drama play out with King Saul, who is being appointed, who is being affirmed by the people, who is being confirmed, even in battle, right? Being confirmed as the king of Israel. And we have, we have seen the Holy Spirit moving on King Saul, such that twice now he has been changed into a different person or another person. And the Holy Spirit has taken control of Saul and accomplished the work and will of God through Saul in worship and in war and in worship again. And we saw all of Israel come together and offer peace offerings to God in praise and thanksgiving to Him and following King Saul in the worship of God, this celebratory, boisterous, loud, instrumental, and vocal worship to to. God who delivered Israel from Israel's enemies. So the nation of Israel is going to Gilgal where where Samuel will speak some words to the nation of Israel and the kingdom of Israel will be restored from its previous state, just a nation of splintered and broken tribes. And Samuel speaking to the nation of Israel in this in this moment maybe doesn't say what we would expect him to say. But first he addresses the nation. And he says, I am going to appoint a king over you. We see this in the first verse here. He says, my sons are with you among the people, which means that Samuel's sons are, are no longer serving as judges, an appointment that Samuel had previously made. And then the elders of Israel, remember, came to Samuel and and complained and, and said, your, your sons are not godly men. They do not need to be serving as judges over us. And so here we actually see that Samuel has demoted his sons. They are just among the, the nation of Israel, among the people of Israel now. And, they're, and they're, they're congregated here listening to Samuel. And Samuel says some strange things, it seems. Look with me at verse 2, and we'll read verses... The second half of verse 2, and we'll read through verse 5 together again. And I, Samuel referring to himself, I have walked before you from my youth, even to this day. Samuel makes a statement about his own faithfulness to the people of Israel and and to God. And we remember in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 35, when, when God is addressing the sins of Eli and Eli's sons, uh, God, God says, I will raise up for myself a priest who will do all that is within my heart and my soul. And so God makes His plan known from that moment, His plan regarding the life of Samuel. And here in this text, here in the second part of verse 2, when Samuel says, And I have walked before you from my youth, even to this day. He is 
proclaiming the faithfulness of God, that God would keep His own word and that God would keep His own promise. I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. I have done all that is within God's heart and soul and none of my words have failed because, because God promised that He would not let any of my words fail. Verse 3. Here I am, Samuel is standing before this congregation of of people. Bear witness against me before the Lord. Now this is what I find interesting. Samuel asks the congregation of Israel to bear witness against him. Bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed, the Lord's anointed at this point being Saul, who has been confirmed as king. Samuel asks this question of Israel, Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. If I have done you wrong, I will repay the wrong that I have done. And in verse 4, we see Israel's reply. They said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. Again, we see Samuel's faithfulness according to the word of God previously spoken in 1 Samuel in chapter 3, verse 35. God has been faithful to present Samuel as the man that he promised Samuel would be, that he said Samuel would be. And Samuel really has done all that is in God's heart and in God's mind. And the people recognize this. You have not done anyone wrong. Samuel, you have been faithful. And because you have been faithful, this proves that God has been faithful according to His own word and according to His own promise to us. And in verse 5, Samuel said to them, The Lord is witness against you. And his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, he is witness, which means you are correct. And we get a sense of what Samuel is going to do from verses 6 through verse 13. First of all, he's going to do this. He's going to proclaim the faithfulness of God, prove the faithfulness of God through the centuries, reflecting on everything that has happened in the past, right? And the story from Genesis 1 leading up to 1 Samuel, and in 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 11, Samuel is going to reflect on this and reflecting on everything that has happened, all of the events in this story, Samuel is going to proclaim God is faithful, He is going to prove from history that God is faithful. The other thing we see here in verse 5 is that the Lord is actually going to stand as a witness against the people through the words of Samuel. Which means Samuel is not only going to prove from history the faithfulness of God, but he's going to prove from history the faithlessness of the nation of Israel. In verse 6, We see it explained explicitly. God's faithfulness through the centuries. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. God did this. God delivered from sin and destruction, from slavery. God did this. 
In verse 7, So now take your stand, that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which He did for you and your fathers. And here in verse 7, even reflecting on what Samuel has already said, he gives all recognition to God, all glory to God. God deserves the credit for providing Him as prophet, for doing His work through Samuel, and for everything that He has done through the nation of Israel. Samuel gives God credit. I remained faithful This is the work God is doing. God delivered the people from Egypt. God delivered your ancestors, your fathers, from from this terrible land of slavery. Verse 8, When Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron. The Lord did this. The Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place, in this land of Canaan. God did this. God deserves glory. God is the one who is faithful here. And we can almost hear it behind Samuel's voice, right? Don't give me the credit. Don't look to me as your victor. Don't do that. God is the one who did this. Don't look to Saul as the one who will deliver you. God is the only one who can do this. God is the one who is, who is absolutely faithful in all things. In verses 9-12, through 12, we see Israel's rebellion and idolatry explained. But they, the nation of Israel, the ancestors here, but they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And here we see different seasons in Israel's history, right? Where they would go into captivity, and they would repent, and they would be freed, and they would go into captivity again. Uh, Samuel highlights this pattern, this vicious cycle that the people of Israel had that even though God was faithful, the people had this habit of rebelling against Him and committing idolatry and worshiping foreign, foreign gods. Verse 10, while in captivity, they, the ancestors of, of this generation of Israelites, they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals or the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. So the nation of Israel would rebel against God, commit idolatry, worship foreign gods. They would be delivered by God into the hands of foreign nations. And then they would cry out to God for God to deliver them and they would promise God at each juncture to serve him only and to rid themselves of idolatry. Then the Lord sent Jerubbaal and Baden and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. The Lord heard your prayers. The Lord did in fact deliver you. Verse 12, when you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. So even though God proved his faithfulness through the centuries, as we reflect on everything that we have learned, as, as we together reflect on the past 23 weeks that we have spent in, in 1 Samuel, 
We have seen the faithfulness of God. Israel saw the faithfulness of God, the ability that God had to deliver them from the hands of their enemies. And here, this generation rebelled against God again when they rejected God as their king. Rebelled against God again and committed idolatry again by seeking a king according to their own preferences. And we have seen that in the previous few weeks, in the previous few sermons. So verse 13. Now, therefore, because you are an obstinate, because you are a rebellious people, because you... Because you're in this vicious cycle of idolatry and rebelling against God, even though God has proven His faithfulness to you, now therefore, here is the King whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for. And behold, the Lord has set a King over you. And the scripture here in this passage is clear. And and, in the previous sermons, we've seen God's providence, right? God is working all this together. But here, we're just looking at, at this text in verse 13. Samuel says, it is because of all of this, because of your history, because of your obstinate, rebellious idolatry, that God is setting this king, Saul, who is a Benjamite and who will be a ravenous wolf. God is setting this king over you. In fact, the language here is past tense. The Lord has set a king over you, referring to Saul. And this, and this king has now been confirmed in battle. Now there is not much to be said here that hasn't already been said in the past 23 weeks. In our past 23 hours of, of study. This morning's sermon is just going to be a little bit shorter. But that is okay. We take a passage of Scripture, and from a passage of Scripture, we, we draw out what the text has to say to us, what the text is, is doing. And, and the length of a sermon matches the pointing of the text and everything that needs to be explained in a text and the application that needs to be made from a text. And here, the application is so simple, and it is the same application that we have seen 23 weeks in a row now. And it is this. God is faithful despite the unfaithfulness of the people He has chosen for Himself. And I think this is an amazing promise throughout the Scriptures. In fact, that application, I think, can be made from any any passage of, of Scripture. But here it is so apparent... And as Samuel is drawing the attention of the Israelites back to the, the previous you know, 11 chapters and preceding that in the, in the history of, of Israel, our attention is drawn to what we have already learned as well. And so we reflect on these things and we ask ourselves this, this question, right? What rebellion might there be in my life against God? What idolatry might there be? What are those things I worship in place of, of God and in place of participation with the body of Christ and in place of sitting under the teaching of, of Scripture? And we think about those things, whatever they might be in our lives, right? And that's going to be different for every person. As a church body, 
what are those things we worship rather than just following Christ and rather than just trying to obey the Scriptures such that when we come together it's just there's us being clothed in the righteousness of Christ together and confessing our sins together before God and reflecting on His faithfulness. Whatever our rebellion, whatever our idolatry, we have this promise in the text and it is present throughout the text. God is ever faithful to His people whom He has chosen for Himself. And that's just the gospel message, right? The good news of Jesus Christ. The people people cannot be faithful. We are unfaithful people. No matter how many chances God gives us in our flesh, right? In our sinful nature. No matter how many chances God gives us, we're in this vicious cycle of rebellious idolatry. Yet God is faithful to His, to His people through all of that. And as we have seen over the past 23 weeks, God is so faithful that He works things out in such a way that His people are brought back to Him, that their attention is turned back to, back to God Himself, the Father. And He sanctifies His people, perfects His people, does His work in the lives of, of His people, restores His people, delivers His people from sin and depravity and slavery that comes along with that. God is in the business of delivering His people. And so this is the, the application of the text, the plain application. And the application is a promise. Despite your sin, despite your rebellion, despite your idolatry, God is faithful to His people. If you are in Christ, God is faithful to you. If you will be in Christ, God is faithful to you for His glory and for the good of His people. And that's the text for today. It's done. That was a quick 23 hours, wasn't it? I would like to ask some questions for our reflection, though. I would say in closing, but this may take just a little bit more time. Have you ever had that happen? Somebody will say, in closing, and they'll talk for 30 more minutes? Yes. I know a couple guys who do that. In closing, I do want to ask a couple questions for our, for our reflection. Well, really it's just one question phrased in, in a couple different ways. First is this, why are we here? Why do we sit together under the instruction of God's Word? Why? Why do people choose the local church that they choose? Why do they choose to attend church where they attend or participate with the body of believers that they participate with? This is really the same question. I'm just asking it a few different ways. right? Why? Why do people who claim to love Jesus or not choose not to invest their time and their energy in participation with a local church and attending the gathering of believers on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever else the, the body of, of believers is, is gathered. Why? Why, why, why? And for us, the answer is, is simple. For those in this room, the answer is, is simple. Why do we invest our time coming here on Sunday morning? Why do we want to sit under, under this preacher guy who 
who is just reading the Bible and explaining the Bible and applying the Bible, and the answer is this. We are hungry for God's words. And we are hungry for God's words in context. And we are hungry for God's words in such a way that we don't want any of these words to be skipped over. And the reason we choose the church at Sunsite specifically is because we don't want to go to a place where some guy is jumping around in the Bible. We never know what we're going to get on a, on a Sunday morning. And so much is, is skipped over or ignored. But the reason we come here is because, is because we just have this commitment to teach and to receive the Word of God as God has given His Word in order and we work diligently preparing 20 to 40 hours for each sermon or or lesson during the week, right? We work diligently to make sure we present this thing correctly. And like this morning to to read the text and just give what, what the text gives. I could have presented this text in such a way I could extrude it and draw all this secret meaning out of the text to get the sermon to be this long. And No, we don't want that. We just want what the Bible gives us, right? We don't want all of this extra stuff. That's a, that's a, that's a waste of our time because it doesn't actually benefit us. And here we just receive the simple promise. God is, God is faithful. God is faithful in spite of our unfaithfulness to Him. And it's an amazing promise. And so to you, sitting here in this, in this auditorium, in this sanctuary, for those who are in other churches, whether healthy churches or not, right? And to those who choose to spend their time elsewhere, I, I want to make this plea. Right? We imagine ourselves sitting at, at a restaurant for dinner. You go to a restaurant to eat a meal. So we're sitting at a table in this restaurant and we're looking at the menu and we order and we order our and we order our food and and when we go to a restaurant what we expect is that the meal will be a good meal. That a meal will be filling. That a that a meal will provide us with nutrients, that it will be healthy. So for us this morning, we come to church, and if we're comparing church to a restaurant, I don't know if that's sacrilegious or not, but we're comparing church to a restaurant. We're illustrating the church meeting using a restaurant sort of atmosphere. We come here to this place. We want, we want a meal. And we want to be, we want to be filled and we want this to be nutritious. And we want to be satisfied in a, in a way that is meaningful and beneficial to our lives. And for, and for those who choose a healthy church where the scriptures are being exposited, where the word of God is being explained, exposed, and applied so that it exposes, is, exposes us. For this type of person, this is our answer. I want a meal that matters. I want a meal that is going to 
provide me with everything I need to have a strong spiritual walk. And so that when I go and weigh myself, my spiritual weight is, is healthy. For those who choose churches for any other reason, there, I think, are two types of people. The people who really like junk food because it tastes good, even though it's terrible for you and doesn't provide any of the nutrition that we need, right? So the people who really like the spiritual junk food that we find in so many places, and then those who feel that at this point in my life, I just need to go on a diet, and so I'm going to go to church and get spiritually healthy for a while, but anyone who who has gone on a diet knows this, there's a time when the diet ends and you gain all the weight back, right? And anyone who has really studied and looked into most dieting programs, we, we actually realize that, that that's more unhealthy than just eating well and getting exercise, right? So you have the people who like junk food and you have the people who just feel like they need to go on a diet because they need a little more piety, religion, goodness in them. I don't know. I just feel like my children need to be raised in church so we're going to church because it's going to make them good people. That's just going to church for to go on a diet and it's not really a healthy, nutritious lifestyle. Then there are the people who are not in church for whatever reason, whether they claim to know Jesus or not, right? And that's because sometimes we believe that we can just prepare a better meal for ourselves than we can get at church. Now, I will grant this. Majority Christianity and popular Christianity and shallow Christianity, most people can prepare a better meal for themselves at home than they can get in in many churches. Right? One of the things that I was reflecting on while I was on vacation is how blessed Katie and I are to have found a church family that forces me to spend time in study. And that expects that when they when they come to church they're getting a full meal. And that's why 20 to 40 hours of study and preparation and prayer during the week, right, only shows up in an hour sermon on Sunday morning. Because we're diving deep, we're getting to the things of God, and we're preparing this meal. And the responsibility is is twofold, right? As we read through the Word of God in order, and we see the things of God, and we make the application of God, it is... For the preacher of God's Word to take this meal, to know the menu, to take this meal that Chef Jesus has prepared, right? The preacher is not the chef. He is not here to be creative. He is just to take this meal that Chef Jesus has prepared, deliver it to the people, explain it to the people. Here are all the ingredients so that the people have a meal worth having. And the responsibility of the congregation is, is to eat. We would not go to a restaurant, Tom might, we would not go to a restaurant and order this amazing meal to have it sit in front of us and just smell it. Be, be a hearer of the word and not a, a, 
a doer also. Now when we order a meal, we want to consume this meal. We want it to affect our hearts and affect our actions, right? We want this meal to, to do this for us. As we think about the year 2020, that's not far from now. It's not long into the future. It'll be here before we know it. As we think about the year 2020, as we go, get through October and November and December and celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas and Halloween, if anybody celebrates Halloween, right? Does anybody really celebrate Halloween or do we just like dressing up? I think people just like dressing up. I don't think they really celebrate it. We celebrate these holidays, move into the new year, 2020. I just I want to take this morning and just recommit ourselves to the Lord. And the text draws us to reflect today, so we reflect. The text draws us to recommitment. It points out, points out again, rebellious idolatry of people and God's faithfulness through that. If we come to God and, and turn back to God, God is still faithful. And He still takes us and He still moves us forward and He still sanctifies us even though, even though we have sin in our life or idolatry in our life or rebellion against God and in our hearts or in our minds. So we recommit ourselves as a church family to God and to pursuing the things of God and to, and to sitting under the teaching of God's Word in a committed and devoted way because, because this is the only thing that satisfies, satisfies our, our spiritual hunger. And yes, I'm using this illustration on purpose because we're going to have a meal after service and we're all hungry even now. But the spiritual hunger runs much deeper than a physical hunger, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So we recommit ourselves. We pray for those in churches that may be unhealthy, that don't preach through the text of Scripture in order to give us the Word of God as God has given it in the order that God has given it without, without skipping anything or hiding anything away or trying to add anything to Scripture by extrapolating it into some profound teaching. Right? We don't have to be profound. Our only job is just present the Word of God. So we pray for those unhealthy churches that don't have this as, as, as their standard. But either God would change the hearts of preachers, or He would be calling His people in those churches to, to churches that will actually benefit them. And I think that is a healthy prayer to have. Of course... The best thing that could happen is that just the preachers, the heart of the preachers changes and that entire churches experience revival according to the Word of God and recommitment to the teaching of, of Christ throughout the Old and the New Testaments. But if teachers won't do this, then we desire people plug into a healthy church, whether that's tea cats or not, Right? For those not in church who believe that somehow on their own they, they can just prepare a better meal for themselves than they can receive in, in a church body, in a local church, as part of a local church where, where this is the standard and where the church does have a preacher who devotes hours and hours and hours of study so that he can feed the congregation well. 
we pray for them also. Well, we were even talking in Sunday school this morning about people get a they get burned or they get a bad taste in their mouth from one congregation and they never visit a church again or they think all churches must be this way. That's not the case. So we pray for revival in our community. In fact, for the next five minutes, uh, let's just bow our heads. Pray to God who is faithful for revival in our church and in our community and in other churches and around the world. And let's just pray for that. Earnestly seek God. Turn to God and, and pray.